It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Everybody, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A wild weekend of civil unrest. We get that. Also, a a big weekend of sports, real sports, professional sports, and good news for football. It looks like they're all but set to go to camp next week. Can you imagine that? There is a a deal to be cut, so it was kind of somewhat normal. Except, of course, when you watch the game, you could see that there was nobody in the stands. But I am not. uh, I'm not complaining. It's just good to see something going back to normal. The virus is still everywhere. It will be an issue for quite some time, as well as this election, which is really taking a back seat because it's July. But and, you know, nothing's really moved that much in the polls. So we're wondering if anything's going to change at all. The president of the United States is going to go do uh, in North Carolina today in Charlotte. Uh, he's going to be down there participating in some innovative techniques in terms of treating this virus in this. It's, it's this plant is called the Fuji Film diacid biotechnology and he's going to talk about that also some good news on the horizon when it comes to vaccines and that's why the markets reacted positively so we have a lot to discuss and of course i want your calls 1-866-408-7669 katie waltz will be with us senior advisor for data at the rnc served as the white house deputy chief of staff uh for the donald trump administration so let's get to the big three now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Now there's a chance you're going to be shooting in our building. Well, how do I act? Should I act like myself? Should I ignore you, I pretend think, you're I not? From when that begins, you should say, you should call me Mr. Regis. Mr. Regis. Yeah. And what if you, what, do you answer or you probably won't? Only to Mr. Regis. That's it. Yes. Then I say goodbye, Mr. Regis. Yeah, remembering Regis Philbin, uh, he was as good as anybody in the history of television, whether it was a game show, talk show, fitness show, whether it was a guest or as a host. I just don't know anybody that was better. Had a, I, I was lucky enough to meet him uh, when I was in college, and he was actually, we were lucky enough to have him on TV as well as on this radio show. When his book came out, he passed away at the age of 88. So I want you to weigh in and tell me about him, what made him so unique. I have my opinions. I want yours. Number two. If the risk in the community is low, you may be able to operate the schools safely. The hard part is opening them and keeping them open. And only a community that both controls COVID and opens schools carefully is going to be able to do that. Uh, that is Tom Fried knows what he's doing. He used to run the uh, used to run the uh, uh, CDC. He's talking about the coronavirus and school openings. Uh, They're pretty much on hold. Doesn't mean they're not going to start, but they have not made a decision. Sports indefinitely altered. Another trillion-plus aid package under construction. What should be in that aid package? And can we really afford to spend it? Number one. You disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? That's that's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes. 
Is he out of his mind? Yes, the New York congressman is. City-to-city protests stretch the patience and endurance of law enforcement as Seattle enters 60 straight days of unrest, I should say, Portland, which is being scrutinized. The role of Antifa is the big question. Some say it's something the racial injustice message has been smothered by Antifa, while Dems ignore, as you just heard, or actually say they do not exist, which is nuts. If you look at the organization of this violence, if you see these are white people there, Maybe a few chants, but they hang out in the back and then they rush forward. And how do I know that? You talk to law enforcement and you watch the raw tape. This is an embarrassment to the country and it's happening everywhere. It's happening in Portland. It's happening in Seattle. It's happening in Philadelphia. It's happening in Austin, Texas. It's happening in Philadelphia. It's happening in New York. And it's not tolerable. What I find amazing is the hatred of Trump is so maniacal, they are actually blaming Trump for creating additional violence. Really? Because he wanted to help out police who have been defunded, have been uh, demoralized, and are outnumbered. 60 straight days. Can you imagine this? 60 straight days. So Chad Wolf, who is the acting director of the DHS, had his house, but protesters around his house had to call security because they posted his home address. So in Washington, in the Washington area, protesters showed up at his house. Can you imagine that? Cut one. We often hear from, again, city leaders and, and either other liter, uh, leaders, uh, Oregon senators, who say there's not a lot of violence going on. It's mainly peaceful protesting. I would say to you, we have over 70 arrests. We have over 188 individual injuries. We've got over a dozen times it's been declared a riot that says otherwise. This is violent, violent activity. We've got dozens of pictures, photos, videos, some of which we released that say the complete opposite. So I think it's very important uh, that Americans and your viewers understand what's going on in Portland. It is violent crime every single night. Uh, that is true. Protesters vandalized the police union building in Baltimore. In Atlanta, protesters attacked the federal building uh, with fireworks and shatter windows. In Los Angeles to Richmond to Omaha, police and protesters clashed all weekend. But it's Donald Trump's fault. Please tell me the role he has in this. So when he tries to control it, you have a problem. When he doesn't, you have a problem. Or is the is the goal to create an uh, uproar, is to for have everyone so fatigued, they say, let's just change party leadership. Let's just put another president in there, even though you know he can't do the job. Let's put the Democrats in control of the Senate, even though there's nothing that Chuck Schumer can do in terms of leadership. He's a political animal with no vision. Always has been. He's great at getting the job, but he's not great at doing the job. So that's what we're looking at. When it comes to the coronavirus, we do have some bad news. Robert O'Brien, the president's national security advisor, doing a great job, has tested positive for the coronavirus, making him the highest profile Trump official to get the virus. Stephen Miller had it and his wife had it, uh, who also works with the administration. But this is Robert O'Brien. So it's getting closer and closer to the president. And that's what happens when you get tested every single day and get immediate results. And I want to tell you, the vice president and the HHS secretary, the fact is months later, that we're now waiting sometimes five, six, seven, some say 12 days to get our tests back, which means they're useless, is inexcusable. 
And if it's not their fault, tell me whose fault it is. I will try to fix it. But the president of the United States can't be calling warehouses trying to deliver reagents on virus material and testing material. But he did count on the vice president to do it. And I haven't seen much of the vice president today. I think he's doing a roundtable somewhere. So the big unrest, the unrest is real. Now, what else is on your mind? Back to school. I don't care if you're a teacher, you're 80 years old, you have grandchildren, whatever it is. If you're 15, 16, 22, the the, um, Zoom learning, I I commend everyone for trying. But nobody says it's going well. Nobody. For grammar school, it's useless. The chance of reinfection for small children is very, very small. And that should be kept in mind along with teachers saying if you have an underlying condition, I get it. Pay them. Let them help out. Let them advise. Put a teacher's assistant in there. Let them advise the teacher's assistant. Beam them in through uh, through the Internet, through the, like a reverse Zoom, whatever. Cut 13. Thomas Frieden. Here there's more uncertainty. Kids appear to be somewhat less likely to get infected than adults, so there's different evidence on that from different parts of the world. And kids may be less likely to spread the virus to others, but there's very little evidence about that. And some of the science, some of the virus studies, suggest that older kids, 10, 12 and up, behave a lot like adults in their ability to spread the disease. We don't know for sure. So with that, get the answers. It's already been five months. Nobody wants to be on the hook and say kids aren't in danger. And if one happens to get it and suffer severe effects of it, They'll say, well, why did Tom Frieden say that? Why did Donald Trump say that? Why did uh, why did uh, Dr. Mark Siegel say that? So no one wants to be on the hook there. They can't say 100 percent anything. But they can say it's so unlikely it's not worth the negative effects of keeping kids at home, not learning for nine, 12 months. Not not an option for college kids. I don't I don't know how many should write the check for thirty five thousand a semester in some cases and have them learn on Zoom. It's not why you're paying the college experience. Half of this is the internet is the growth. And I think you got to go and make those campuses safe. Bubble them out, do an Orlando model, the way they're doing it with the NBA and MLS. Do something. Waiting on the sidelines saying, well, Donald Trump's a bad president. I want to wait. Uh, it's too much of a risk is not an answer, if you ask me. So when you uh, have a rescue package, what should be in it? One, there's got to be some protection for business owners. So if miss, if uh, if somebody goes to work, your neighbor goes to work, and they get the virus and they sue their company, the company goes under, you lose your job, and maybe that person gets a payout. But lawyers are going to be all over this, getting their 33%. Don't want any part of that. So you got to give you got to give them some immunity. Got to make sure there's money there for schools to reconfigure and re- and retrofit for these new challenges. Make sure there's unemployment insurance. Cut out that $600. We'll talk about the details of that and the help should be coming their way. They had meetings over the weekend, which is extraordinary. They almost never do uh, with leadership. The White House stepped back, but they have Steve Mnuchin working it. Uh, Republicans aren't on the same page because they don't enjoy spending money we don't have. Democrats don't care because it's an administration they're not responsible for, and it's money they have no interest in paying back. So when we come back, where's the RNC heading? Do they believe the polls or some of them that show they're trailing and that the Senate's in jeopardy? Katie Walsh, Shields next, and then Ben Shapiro after that. Big show, big hour, don't move. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. 
The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. In our interview last week with President Trump, he questioned whether his Democratic opponent, Joe Biden, could handle a similar encounter. Well, this week we asked the Biden campaign for an interview, and they said the former vice president was not available. We'll keep asking every week. And I'm sure he'll keep saying no, unless the president can close the gap in the polls and the internal show. He's got to go out and try to win this. Katie Walt-Shields joins us, senior advisor for data at the RNC. Uh, and uh, she is uh, the deputy chief of staff and RNC uh, chief of staff uh, back in 2018. So, uh, Katie, welcome back. Uh, does Thanks it surprise you me. that Joe Biden has said no so far to Chris Wallace? No, not at all. Look, Joe Biden's strategy is stay in the basement. I mean, every time he comes up and does an interview, there's, you know, the, it's a gaffe after gaffe after gaffe, and they just can't afford that. I mean, the American public's starting to realize we don't want this guy in charge. But he is leading in almost uh, all the polls. Even if the polls are a little off, they do show a trend. In the Wall Street Journal, Biden's up by uh, 11. And in, in the, uh, the Washington Post, he's up by 10. Fox poll by 8. Quinnipiac poll uh, by 13. What should people at yeah. home know about what you're seeing as opposed to that? I think there are a couple things, Brian. I think the first thing is you got to remember back in 2016, and I was actually chief of staff at the RNC then when we were doing the first election for president for now President Trump. Um, the public polls were always down for the, for candidate Trump at the time. I mean, I think in June and July of 2016, if you go on Real Clear Politics, he was down an average of seven points nationally, um, which somewhat reflects what the polling was saying in June of this year. I think the other thing that people miss a lot is that these media polls don't often, we believe, actually take into account likely voters. I think they get the electorate wrong. I think they get, got the electorate wrong in 16, and I think they'll have, they have the electorate wrong now. They're overweighting Democrats, underweighting Republican turnout, um, and I think they're going to be wrong again in November. If I was to give Katie you one issue and, and you'd say to the president, just get focus on this, would it be the coronavirus? Because Michael Goodwin writes about it. Most people, it affects everybody listening's lives in some way. Is it all about the coronavirus and that'll decide who wins or loses? 
Look, I think coronavirus is clearly affecting everybody. I mean, everyone has has known someone or has that has suffered from this and or everyone in the country has had an economic impact on this on their lives. And so I think it's a very important topic to talk about. I think there are two things I'd, I'd tell the president. One is, you know, you need to continue to talk about everything you've done to battle this pandemic. And I think the media, especially the national media, really doesn't want to cover that. Um, I think the other thing I would really focus him on, and, and this is something he's just, you know, amazing at talking about, but the the economic comeback that we're, that he is launching under having to kind of reopen the economy after the pandemic is something that we need to be shouting from the rooftops. In the last two months, 7.5 million jobs out of the economy. If you compare that to the Obama-Biden quote-unquote recovery, Mm -hmm. it took them nearly 21 months to get 7.5 million jobs added back to the economy. And so while the news media wants to say, oh, the president's mishandling COVID, I think what the president needs to continue to say, which he's done over and over and over again, is I'm, I'm managing COVID twofold. One, I want to make sure that we're taking care of our most vulnerable population. And two, I want to make sure that the excuse me, economic impact on our society is as little as possible. We've got people right now that have been out of work for months. We've got kids that need to go back to school in the fall so their parents can go to work. And these are things the president's trying to balance, and I think he's doing it pretty successfully. So uh, they did a focus group. I see this in Axios in Warren, Michigan. They found that President Trump's uh, starting to make some gains branding Joe Biden, somebody who hasn't really accomplished anything and is not all together there. They say Biden's in the focus group. They could not name a single achievement in Biden's life. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, the guy has basically been in public life his entire life. And the public cannot say one thing that Biden has done, whether as vice president or as senator, mm-hmm. to make their lives better. And I think it's really telling. I think the other thing that gets underreported is, you know, Biden's pandemic advisor um, and the former Ebola response coordinator under Obama-Biden blasted Biden's handling of H1N1 and said, look, they did everything possible wrong. And it's by pure luck that this wasn't a mass casualty event under the Obama administration. And so these are the things that the president's going to continue to highlight in terms of, look, when they were in charge of the recovery, it was the worst recovery since World War II. When they were in charge of the pandemic, their own pandemic advisor said it was pure luck that this wasn't a mass casualty event. And so I think we're going to continue to highlight not only that there's no main, you know, things that the American public can say, look at what Joe Biden's done for us. But in fact, here are the things that actually failed at. Uh, so so I, I did notice a discipline that, that popped out last week with the president. Number one, he's wearing a mask. Uh, number yep. two, he's uh, immediately addressing seniors uh, through aid and through some of his comments. Uh, another one would be being tough on China, comprehensive, uh, all hands on deck, push on China, and then law and order. Not saying uh, what if, actually putting uh, federal agents into these troublesome cities. What else can we expect? I think we can expect the president to continue to talk about kids getting back to school. I think we can, I mean, everywhere I go, Brian, it's the number one topic I'm asked about by parents who say, I need to go back to work. We need to get our kids back to school. We need to do it smart. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're gonna bring it every single day. Whatever you wanna call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. I think the president has done a great job of coming out in his daily briefings um, and talking about how we're gonna do that aid we're gonna give to the schools, how we're gonna do it thoughtfully and getting these kids back in school, not only for this structure and for their education, but also so our economy can get back going. Um, And I think, you know, you'll continue to hear kind of a counter narrative from Democrats about how this is, quote unquote, unsafe, when in reality, I think, you know, they want to take extreme measures to try and keep this economy down. So the president, um, you know, seems to not be able to talk about that with the success that we know he can. And so we're going to continue to talk about the economy, about schools. um, And I think safety is a big thing. You know, the president's campaign has an ad up now talking about defunding the police. That is a across the board, you know, hot button issue in this country right now. And I think we'll continue to hear conversation about that. And I think the president's on the right track. All right, Katie Walshields. Thanks so much, Katie. Best of luck down the stretch. You're not going to have many days off. 99 left. That's right. Thanks for having me, Brian. You got it. We come back. Uh, The inside of Ben Shapiro. Uh, He's got a brand new book out, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. I think we're at two already. Find out what the last one is. Brian Kilmeade Show. And then we take your calls. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now. There's that's, riots. That's, that's a myth. That's being spread only in Washington, D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes. It's Sir, a, there's there's videos everywhere online. There's fires and riots. There's th- they're throwing fireworks at uh, federal officers. DHS is there. Look online. It gets crazy, Mr. Nadler. That is a reporter who walked up to Jerry Nadler just to say, what about the role of Antifa with the Portland protesters? And he says it's a myth only in Washington. Really? Tell it to all the cops getting hit by those organized protests which have nothing to do with racial injustice in America. And it just goes to show you how polarized or willfully ignorant people like Jerry Nadler are. I don't have an idea why he hasn't gotten another job and just left that business of politics. He is so terrible. Ben Shapiro is with us, co-founder of The Daily Wire, uh, host of The uh, Ben Shapiro Show, number one New York Times bestseller. His latest book is How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Ben, you wrote this book, and in the middle of this, we seem to be uh, dead set on destroying America. Did you give everyone a blueprint or something? (laughs) <laughs> I, I am glad that I cannot take responsibility for it. I, I, I did not give them the blueprint, but I, I will say that when I wrote the book in December, January, uh, I, I figured it would be relevant. I didn't think it would be quite this relevant quite this quickly. It's like all the all the syndromes that I was talking about plaguing the country broke out into the open at once. So, you know, forget about the gun violence. Let's just talk about the civil unrest in Philadelphia, in Oakland, in Portland, in Seattle, in New York City, uh, in Austin, in Albuquerque, and... And in Kansas City, what's going on here? Well, I mean, what we're watching right now is, is a variety of movements, all pretending to, to be about civil rights and about making the country better, and then are all innately about making the country worse. They're, they're really about castigating America as uniquely horrible, and then castigating America's systems as repositories of privilege and evil, and, and saying that those systems need to be torn down, whether you're talking about 
Black Lives Matter rioters in, in Los Angeles or New York or Washington, D.C., or whether you're talking about Antifa rioters in Portland or in Seattle, what you're watching in the end is a sort of alliance that, that says that the United States is bad. It's just the, the bleeding spear of an ideology that, that claims that the United States' systems are unworthy of, of continuing and need to be torn out at the root. I mean, there's a reason that Nicole Hannah-Jones is very proud. She said this on Twitter, the, the founder of the 1619 Project and, and the de facto editor of the New York Times at this point. She, she said on Twitter that she was happy that people were suggesting that what happened in New York and L.A. and Washington, D.C. and all over the country, that that was the 1619 riots, meaning that, that her perspective on the United States, namely that it was rooted in evil and is inseparable from that evil, that that perspective had taken such hold. Now, let me ask you, does that come up in the interview? Hi, how you doing? Tell me about your background. You seem to be a good writer. And your view of America? It's terrible, needs to be uh, disassembled, and we're based on slavery. I think you're the perfect person. Uh, we have a column for you to write, and we have a news division for you to lead. So to prove Ben Shapiro you're right, I'm looking at uh, Ted Linseth. He is somebody who is an uh, African-American activist. He said, Oregon is white as hell. The, uh, he said that... Uh, he warned that the Black Lives Matter movement in the city is being co-opted by, quote, privileged white people with their own agenda. It is not our agenda. NAACP is saying the same thing. Why are you telling us what we need? Again, if it is a white-black thing, why are we depending? Why are white people taking the lead? Isn't that the ultimate insult? Telling black people what they need for justice? Well, it is pretty incredible, but it goes back to this view of racism that is actually pushed by people like Ibram Kendi and Robin DeAngelo. Ibram Kendi, of course, the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist and Stamp from the Beginning, and Robin DeAngelo, the author of White Fragility. Their view of the United States is that the United States is not only racist, but the racism is embedded in all of its systems. And so the way that you identify racism is not how we used to identify racism. So it used to be that you could pretty easily tell who was the racist. Whoever thought that there was inferiority or superiority based on race was the racist, right? That was the definition of racist. Well, now they've changed the definition. So they say any system that creates any sort of racial inequality or results in any sort of racial inequality is a racist system. And if you don't want to tear down the system, then you are a racist. Not only that, if you're a white person, you bear all responsibility for this. So nobody bears responsibility for this except the white privilege who have lived under and propagated this particular system. Well, what that does, it means that white people are still in charge. It means that white people are the, are the people who have, you know, in the sort of old Rudyard Kipling phrase, the, the white man's burden to fix the entire system. And so what that means is that the views of, of people of color actually don't matter all that much. The, the only views that actually matter are the views of people like Robin DiAngelo, who's going to cure the country of whiteness and, ha- and take on the past sin of the United States. So that's why you see these bizarre videos of these woke white protesters lecturing black cops about what America needs on racism. What I also find astounding, too, is the places that are, are just overrun with gun violence and that, of course, is Chicago, where the great Rahm Emanuel reigned and left with his tail between his legs, but came out with his chest high, with his, with his chin in the air and his chest pumped out as if he was a great victor. So because the president of the United States actually did what he said he was going to do, he says, listen, I'm going to send some federal help in there to not handle protesters on the Christopher Columbus statue. No, but to find out about these gangs that were running rampant and the sub-gangs that are killing each other. They're shooting each other at funerals. At funerals. And here's the mayor who blames it on, who blames this whole thing on the president's and his willingness to have uh, federal help. Cut seven. I've drawn a very hard line. We will not allow federal troops in our city. We will not tolerate unnamed agents 
taking people off the street, violating their rights uh, and holding them in custody. That's not happening here in Chicago. So I've drawn a very, very bright line. I've made that very clear to every federal authority um, that I've spoken with. And they understand that if they cross that line, we will not hesitate to use every tool at our disposal to stop troops uh, and unwanted agents in our city. So this woman who should be begging for help with 117,000 gang members, 55 known gangs, 747 factions, and they say there are 2,500 subsets of those major gangs. You think this woman would be begging for help. Instead, she's drawing the line. And when, when push comes to shove, she'll take down Columbus's statue. What planet are we on, Ben? I mean, we're on a planet where one of the one of the tactics that's being used by mayors across the country who are on the left is something that uh, an author named Fred Siegel, uh, who was the founder of City Institute, uh, he called the riot ideology. The basic idea here goes back to the 1960s, and that was that riots are sometimes useful because politicians will use them as a way to club the citizenry into essentially giving the rioters what they want. So Marion Barry famously did this in Washington, D.C. He would work with people outside the government who were, quote unquote, protesting, but actually were engaged in violence. And then he would basically say to the taxpayers, if you want these people to stop, here are the five things you need to do. And this is the same thing that John Lindsay in New York City did during the 1960s. He basically said the way that we can help alleviate the underlying problems here is do all the things we want you to do. Well, if you're a leftist politician, then you have two possible sort of solutions here. One is that you surrender to the protesters simply because you are afraid that they are more woke than you are and that you're going to be castigated as insufficiently leftist. And at the same time, you can go to the citizenry and you can say, listen, we can alleviate all these problems. All you have to do is these things we want you to do. You're starting to see hints of this nationally, by the way. You're starting to see writers say things like, you know, we'd solve all this if Trump resigned. So now, now you're saying the quiet part out loud which is that this whole thing is about you wanting what you want, and you're only going to stop this if a Democrat is elected. So essentially you're threatening the law-abiding citizens of the United States that you're going to continue violating the law and wrecking major cities and shutting down major cities at 6 p.m. in curfews unless you get what you want. Well, that's never the way democracy is operated, and no democracy can operate under those conditions. So, Ben, do you get the sense in looking at your book there are reasonable people in the middle that understand when Mayor Lightfoot says things the way they do, way understand that these liberal mayors saying this is going to be the summer of love in Portland and then see the, re, the, uh, the ransacking of a city like we're seeing, and now we see it re, uh, reigniting in Seattle. So when, do you get the sense that there's a majority of Americans who, who don't care about the politics but are logical enough to see the problem? So I think that most Americans definitely see the problem. I think that the, the biggest problem right now is that the media have done such an incredible job of making it so that everybody's focus is on President Trump, that they've ignored the, the real problems that are plaguing the country right now. And they're downplaying it purposefully in order to convince Americans that, that none of this is happening. And this is how you get to that Jerry Nadler quote where he says there's no such thing as Antifa violence. Right? The only way that you can do that is, is, number one, if you're delusional, but number two, if you really think that you can get away with that and the media decide to play that game, which they have been playing. So do, do I think that the vast majority of Americans are happy to go along with this? No, I think the vast majority of Americans know that this is nonsense. But I think that the, the polarization around the election is so effective. It's been so effective around President Trump that the media have basically been able to make this a referendum on Trump as opposed to a referendum on violence. And this is why it's very important that President Trump be incredibly focused the last 100 days of this campaign. He really needs to prevent the media from using distraction in order to avoid the, the logical conclusion here, which is that if you actually want this stuff to stop and not cave to rioters and looters and protesters, then what you actually need 
is somebody who is going to effectuate law and order. The president needs to make that message inescapable. And so he can't offer the sort of distractions that he, that he sometimes does on Twitter, for example. Hey, you know, one thing I have to say, he's been pretty disciplined. I thought he had a very good week last week. He definitely saw the change in messaging. And I do think 99 days in this, in this world we're in is a lifetime. I agree. I agree. I think last week he was much, much better. And we just need to see that. We just need to see that maintained. We don't want this to become... You know, that, uh, that image from The Simpsons, days since work accident, <laughs> where it reset back to zero. Instead, what we just want is, you know, a consistent level of solidity coming from the White House. Listen, people have been, I think, begging for this from the beginning because President Trump's policies are actually quite popular. And when President Trump sticks to the script, then he is quite popular. The problem is that he hasn't. So if he can actually, this is, here's, the, here's the discouraging part. He's down in the polls. Here's the encouraging part. He's performed about as badly as he could during the last three months. And just not, not in terms of policy, but in terms of stuff that he's been saying, which means that this is a low watermark. And you're going to start to see him rise in the polls. You're going to start to see things tighten up a little bit at the very least before the election. And if he is disciplined and if he can point to this, all he, all he really has to do is point to this and say, look what Democrats are supporting. Where's Joe Biden condemning these riots? Where is he? Are he's hiding in the basement. Where is he? He won't even do an interview with Chris Wallace. You know, if, if Trump can do that and be consistent about it, then I think this election is going to tighten up a fair bit. I just think that we're not looking at Barack Obama at 48 years old with his, his eloquent speech and promises that he couldn't fulfill. But you say, well, wow, pretty talented guy. Bill Clinton, he had all his personal problems. But, man, can he speak? And he certainly was comfortable on a myriad of issues. No one uh, doubted his intellect. But when you look at Joe Biden, he's the worst candidate that I have seen in my lifetime. And if President Trump can close the gap and force him to actually campaign, that would actually be an exponential gain for him. No, but for sure. I mean, no question. I mean, Joe Biden is an extraordinarily weak candidate who's being benefited by two particular circumstances. One, COVID has made it so that he doesn't have to go out and campaign. Right? It is actually benefiting him tremendously. He just gets to stay home and talk to friendlies, basically, which is really nice for him. He doesn't have to demonstrate any level of presidential energy at all. Uh, and then number two is the fact that he's campaigning, as I've said before, essentially as a dead person. He's basically just saying, I am a tree stump, and you don't like Trump, so vote for the tree stump. And so that makes it really a referendum on Trump, which means that this is very much about can Trump shift the burden of proof back to Biden as opposed to letting it sit on his own shoulders. So, Ben, lastly, you, you write the book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. I felt as though I unwound the book by just reading the news, unfortunately, because yeah. the word destroy does work. And it is getting I think it's beginning to unnerve uh, our allies, what's happening in our country right now. What is the element that we could see around the bend that would make you believe that we are on that path that we have not discussed yet? Well, you know, I, I think that the, the one thing that, that would allow us to to recover here is a renewed sense of what America's history is all about. What the book really does is juxtaposes two visions of the country. One is what I call it's not really left right so much as it is unionist versus disintegrationist. So do we even want to be a country anymore? If we do, we have to have a shared philosophy rooted in the Declaration of Independence. We have to have a shared culture rooted in civic institutions like churches and schools that values entrepreneurship, adventure, that values taking care of the neighbor. And then if we and, and we also have to have a shared history, we have to have a belief that the United States is actually an incredibly glorious place and that that glorious place ought to be upheld. Mm-hmm. If we don't have those things, then we're going to fall apart. I think that can be re-inculcated. You've seen Antifa. I mean, they don't they don't seem to like you. Uh, they seem to show up in some of your speeches. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing their imprint on especially over in Oregon and Seattle? A hundred percent. I mean, you can see all the hallmarks. I mean, there, there are certain things that you just look for. Visually, right? You see the black flags. You see the you see the red flags. You see people who are who are dressed all in black with the bicycle helmets and the goggles and all. I mean, this is 
it's it's perfectly obvious to everybody that Antifa is deeply involved. They've been very active in, in Portland for years, as, as the reporter Andy No has, has pointed out, and now they're active in Seattle as well. Like what you're going to see right now, and this is the most predictable effect, is a mass a mass evacuation of major cities. You're, you're just going to see everybody who can afford to leave these major cities leave these major cities because who wants to live there? Who wants to pay inordinate taxes in order to get shut down at 6 p.m. every night and watch our business burn out? That, that doesn't sound like a party to me. I think I think you're 100 percent right. As a broadcast from New York City, virtually alone, uh, there is nobody here. Uh, ben, congratulations on the book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Continue to get the word out and continue not to take a step backwards. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Your calls are next. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And this guy looked at me and got up real close and said, what are you going to do with your life? I said, you know, I think I'd like to go in and tell it, but I'm not sure. I don't know. And he didn't want to hear that. And he, he got even closer and said, don't you know you you could have anything you want in this life? You've only got to want it bad enough. Now, do you want it? And I said, I, well, I'm not sure. And then he, in a loud, you know, Marine voice, I said, do you want it? And I said, yes, sir, I want it. Get in that car, go up to Hollywood right now and make it happen. And that's exactly what I did. And that's how it all began. But I don't know if I would have done it unless that guy said to me, do you want it? Nine years ago, that was Regis Philbin on this show, and he was promoting his book, talking about how he got uh, so driven and how he got on the path to all the success in one of the toughest businesses in the world. And he was top three or five ever to do it, passed away at the age of 88. Uh, George, listen, WLKF in Lakeland. Hey, George. Good morning, Brian. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Well, uh, I was a San Diego policeman in the late 50s. And um, I remember Regis very well. He was with KFMB Radio at that time. And before he got his uh, uh, personal talk show, uh, he he was a traffic reporter, uh, get in the car and drive around the city and report on traffic conditions. I don't think very many people realize that. That was basically his first uh, venture into uh, journalism. And uh, I remember that. Then in 1976, I had an opportunity to take a young lady that was Miss California. Uh, my wife and I both worked in that program to inter- be interviewed by him and his talk show in Los Angeles. So I did get to meet him personally then. Great guy, wonderful personality. And uh, I'll never forget those events in my life. I'm that, very saddened uh, yeah. at his loss. Now, thanks so much for the personal stories because you feel like you knew him. Oh, I remember him on television. Well, you knew the same guy. They were the same guy, the guy on TV and off. Uh, Ion is in Nevada. Ion. Hi, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. My my thoughts this morning are, if the Democratic mayors and governors can take away our right to worship, limit our right to work, then why can't they suspend the right to protest because the protests are turning into riots? Yeah, uh, everyone says, oh, those protests have nothing to do with the coronavirus. We all know that's dumb, and we're not idiots. And, of course, it it has everything to do with the riots. Uh, Thanks so much. It's definitely not helping. Just it's amazing how many huge stories are happening at the same time. 
We didn't even talk about what's happening with China, the other superpower. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order any of my books. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. We have a lot to discuss today. I'm sure you have not taken your eyes off all the protests, the election uh, chaos that's taking place. And, of course, both teams settling in on the strategy as well as how coronavirus has affected you. Uh, Hogan Gidley at the bottom of the hour. Michael Goodwin coming up next. I do have some news. First, Robert O'Brien, National Security Advisor for the President, tested positive for the coronavirus. He made it clear, didn't think it happened, got it from the White House. He was in France. He was home at a, par, uh, at a get-together, and he has tested positive. They test you just about every day there. I believe, I believe it's every day. Also have this. You know, you do worry. Uh, looks like they're doing some construction here. You do worry about... Uh, you do worry about what's happening with sports, and you wonder if they're going to be able to keep this season out and actually see it through. The Miami Marlins have canceled or postponed their first game. They had so many players test positive. So um, with that, let's go out to Michael Goodwin. Uh, Michael Goodwin joins us from the New York Post, where, Michael, there was uh, the mayor of this city made some news. He said, how dare you, and I'll paraphrase, how dare you, you New York Yankees, invite evil to the mound, meaning the President of the United States, to throw out the first pitch? Good morning, Brian. It is uh, beyond disgraceful the way this president is denied the routine and the important, in some cases, powers of the presidency. Uh, when he wants to enforce federal law in Portland, He's uh, called by the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi. He's, he's accused of sending stormtroopers. Uh, and it, that's a major one. When he wants to secure the borders, every effort is made uh, to, to uh, accuse him of imprisoning children, separating families. Uh, on and on the list goes, but it's never too trivial either. So even throwing out the first pitch. Even that is is forbidden him because it would uh, it would display some kind of uh, support for him on the on the face of the or on the behalf of the New York Yankees or or the city. So it really is cancel culture. Let's cancel the president. Let's not him. Be, let's not let him be president. Let's stop him whenever he tries to do anything. And I blame Pelosi fundamentally for this. It's one thing for people in the streets to do it. It's quite another when the Speaker of the House of Representatives tears up the President's State of the Union address on television, shreds it in front of him. Uh, this, is, this has gone way too far. And as I say, people are free to express their opinions, but there's a certain responsibility that goes with power, with goes with holding important offices. And you can, you can attack Trump all you want for uh, violating norms, but that doesn't give you the right to violate norms. That doesn't mean you should do it, too. 
And I, and I really think that this hatred of Trump, this denial of him as a legitimate president, is so corrosive to the fabric of our society. And I think it is in large part why we are seeing all these disturbances. It's because the Democratic Party hasn't said stop. These are Democrats. Make no mistake. Everybody in the streets, if they vote, they will vote for Joe Biden. They will vote for every Democrat on the ballot. So, therefore, I think the Democratic Party has a special obligation to say, this has gone too far. We have to keep our country together. We cannot tear our country apart because we disagree with the policy. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example when it comes to school openings. Wow, it's dangerous. Where's the national plan? Wait a second. It's dangerous. It's also dangerous for kids not to go to school. Why don't you see that? It's also uh, dangerous for the economy if you can't get parents to work because they have no one to watch their kids. And do we also see in New York, do you know that uh, domestic abuse cases have hit an all-time high uh, throughout the coronavirus? So on top of that, hospitalizations are at an all-time low. Why isn't we, are we having a conversation about 637 people hospitalized in a state the size of New York of the 53,000 tests in one day, 1% tested positive, let alone how few would actually go into the hospital. You should be opening schools. That would begin to a sense of normalcy. There are people working against the country in order to win in November. I am convinced of it. I completely agree with you. And I think there are also petty personal interests at stake. I mean, one of the things that's clearly working against the schools are the, are the unions. Uh, many of the teachers simply don't want to go back to work. They did nothing. I mean, look at when schools were closed in March. Uh, students were promised they'd have access online to their teachers. Some of those, some of the students and their parents have said they had zero, zero real contact with their teachers. Zero. So these teachers got paid, but they did zero work. They, they, they made no effort to contact their students. And now you see classes that are, you're supposed to have a class four or five days a week. Well, online you'll have it once or twice. Why is that? What, are the, what, is, the, what is the teacher doing instead? So I think we've had uh, this, this union power. You know, they always tell us it's about the kids. Well, you can't tell us this is about the kids. This is about the union getting paid and not wanting to work, not having any effort, not having any sense of cooperation. How do we figure this out? Yes, this is an important uh, situation, this disease, particularly for the elderly and some of the teachers would be most vulnerable. But let's work together to find a solution that works for the children, because if, if kids miss half of last semester and all of this semester, maybe all of this year in classroom settings, they are never going to recover that. Particularly the kids who are further behind now will fall further behind every day. Where is this concern for the, for the, uh, uh, the poorest children? It's gone in, in a flurry of self-interest. That's where it's gone. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no question, especially when you list the things that you demand in Los Angeles. And it looks like the Bernie Sanders manifesto of I want Obamacare, Medicare for all. I want the end of charter schools, no more financing. And I'm thinking to myself, what does that have to do with reopening your school 
nothing. Uh, so they'll keep everything shut down. And now you have people like Jake Tapper basically cheering for another lockdown as if everyone's got the same goal, whether you're a politician, a voter or an anchor. It's crazy to me. Um, and then the civil unrest we're seeing. Now, when it comes to this, uh, when it comes to this election, there's no doubt about it. You're 100 percent right here, Michael. The COVID-19 will dis- make or break Donald Trump's hope of getting four more years. I love what I saw last week from him, and I saw a beginning of a shift. Do you? Oh, yes. Uh, And uh, when I spoke to him on Friday for the column in yesterday's post, uh, I I did not ask him specifically, have you changed your mind? Have you have you retooled? Because it's obvious he has. And he's he's not going to admit it to me or to you or anybody publicly that he's reading the polls and he sees the problem. But that's the truth. Uh, someone close to him told me, look, don't, basically, don't worry about what he says. Watch what he does. And I think what he does shows us that he is concerned. That, uh, and I point out the, uh, in the column, the poll in Florida last week, well, now, Florida is a, is a state he won fairly comfortably, that Ron DeSantis won as governor fairly comfortably uh, after being well behind. Uh, you look at Florida now, and the latest poll, DeSantis is at his lowest point yet in his approval numbers, and the president is 13 points behind Joe Biden. I don't know. 13 points. Now, look, it may not be 13 points, but I think the trend is clear, and that that is what, it, and it's all about the COVID. It's all about COVID. They're, they're, uh, the president and DeSantis's overall job approval numbers track their uh, their approval numbers on handling the COVID. So this is now filtering through every part of the campaign. It is, as I say, uh, with apologies to James Carvel, it's the COVID, stupid. That's the top issue in the campaign for now. Now, whether it stays that way largely depends, I think, on, on how it goes over the summer. Do we get a vaccine? All of those things could change the dynamics. But right now, the COVID is the most important topic in the campaign. So I'm just going to give you some poll numbers. I know people roll their eyes at poll numbers, but I'll just give it to you. Wall Street Journal, NBC poll says Biden's leading overall uh, 51 to 40. Fox, 49, 41. These are national polls. Washington Post, 54, 44. We know it's not a popularity contest, but gives you an idea of the trend. And 52, 37, the Q poll. Now in Michigan, Wall Street Journal, NBC poll has Michigan, Biden by eight. Pennsylvania, Biden by seven. Wisconsin, uh, Biden by six. Florida by six. He leads in Arizona by three and North Carolina by three. The CBS tracking poll has some relatively good news for the president. He's up by one in Ohio, trails by six in Michigan. Tracking is more day-to-day, week-to-week. So he's not going to have a convention to help launch him. He's not going to have a series of rallies to help rally him. So he's got to try to do something extremely innovative uh, with a team that just got a new leader uh, as Brad Parscale steps back and focuses on digital, are you convinced that he's confident he can after hanging up the phone with him? Uh, I'm not convinced he's confident. Uh, I think what he would like to be able to do, Brian, is change the focus of the campaign from COVID to the riots in the streets. 
he would, of course, w- uh, to draw the contrast with Joe Biden is what we were talking about before, that these are essentially Democrats and Democrat supporters uh, who are doing this. They, they are not Republicans. There's, there's no, not a single Republican vote in a rioter. Um, and I think the president wants to draw that contrast. Uh, he wants people to, frankly, be afraid of what would happen under a Biden presidency. As he said to me, what you're seeing in Portland, Seattle, and New York, Chicago, between the riots and the general crime uh, increases, that's what you would see nationally under Joe Biden. Uh, so that, uh, that is the argument he wants to be able to run on. In addition to, of course, we will bring back the economy. But right now he can't get there because people are focused on COVID. So I think he is, he is searching for a way, as, as we say, the, you know, the appearances last week, wear a mask, uh, we won't have the rallies. Uh, you know, he's less, less certain about opening schools because of this. Again, this is reflecting what he is reading in the polls, right. and, and I think he, he is genuinely concerned now and realizes that COVID is not over. He tried to sort of look beyond it. He tried to sort of treat it as something we would, a, a combination of living with it and get over it, but it won't let go, and so he has been forced to come right. back. And that's why he's appearing again in these briefings, and he's doing it by himself. He's keeping them short. Order, which is thankful. Uh, and I think he's still answering probably too many questions. Uh, nonetheless, I think he has, he has gotten the message yep. that the previous briefings did not serve him well. Governor Cuomo called you out on Friday. He loves to pat himself on the back. When he doesn't, he likes to praise himself and ask himself questions. I've never seen a guy get away with things like this and send his thugs out to take away people's liquor licenses over the weekend. Here he is yesterday, cut 17, or over the weekend, cut 17. You've gotten a lot of pressure and a lot of um, suspicion cast on the Department of Health's independent report or internal report on nursing homes. Why not just appoint an independent investigator to produce their own report and then put it to bed? Why? Yeah, why I don't believe your characterization is correct. I believe it is a political issue. I think it's the New York Post. I think it's Michael Goodwin. I think it's Bob McManus. I think it's Fox TV. I think it is all politically motivated. If anybody looked at the facts, they would know that it was wholly absurd on its face. People died in nursing homes. That's very unfortunate. He goes on. What's your answer to him calling you out as if you're the problem with an agenda? (laughs) Well... Uh, as I write in uh, my Sunday column, Brian, uh, Andrew Cuomo is a thug. Uh, he has to personalize it because he has no other answer. He, uh, when he said Fox TV, what he really meant was Janice Dean, uh, who I'm sure your, your, your viewers and, and listeners uh, realize that she lost both of her in-laws to COVID in nursing homes. And I believe, and many others do too, that Andrew Cuomo's policies killed thousands of people. Thousands of people died because he ordered the nursing homes to take in contagious COVID people uh, on March 25th. That order went into effect. And I think what's never been fully understood, Brian, is uh, why he did that. And I don't think his, uh, his attitude was venal. I don't think he was trying to kill them. He was trying to free up hospital beds. But 
What's interesting is that's right around the time in, in late March when he was panicking. He said New York will need 130,000 hospital beds and it only had something like 35 or 40,000. And it never needed that many. It didn't use the comfort ship when President Trump said it, sent it here. He, the, the city and state did not use the Javits Center, where a thousand hospital beds were built in a miraculous speed of time. He didn't use these facilities because he didn't need them. And he didn't need them because his estimate was way off. He was somehow following this model of two million dead. Gotcha. And I, you know, I have no proof of this, but it is interesting. He has said that he talked to anti-Fauci virtually every day. Chris Cuomo, his brother who got sick, he said Anthony Fauci and he talked every day. The Fauci has some connection to the Cuomo. Yeah, let's hold and, it. I got to hold you there because we're up against yeah. a break. But that's a great point. We're going to pick that up, too. Michael, thanks so much. Michael, good. My morning. pleasure, Brian. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Cynthia, you're up in Montreal. Hey, Cynthia, what's going on? Hi. Brian, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I have an observation that angers me. Uh, the media, the Democrats, do everything they can right through their teeth to protect Biden. The right-wing media, for the most part, and the Republicans, don't hesitate to criticize Trump. That is, this is not the time for that. I understand your uh, your uh, prime minister is having some problems, too. Actually, I'm an, an Upper East Side New Yorker, now in Montreal. But oh. I know Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Thank you. Ron in Portland, Oregon. Ron. Hi, Brian. Thank you for being a voice of reason in our sea of insanity. I live in the Portland, Oregon area. I'm 68 years old. I've been supplementing my Social Security by driving for Uber for the last four and a half years, well, up until mid-March when, because of, uh, you know, having driven people from at least 36 different countries for obvious reasons, I had to set that aside. So I started filing for the pandemic unemployment assistance. And for seven, well, now 18 weeks this last Sunday, I've filed for that every week and have received nothing Absolutely nothing. Unbelievable. Uh, have you talked to anybody about this? Yeah, I actually emailed both senators, uh, uh, Democratic senators from my state, and uh, got boilerplate uh, yeah. emails back from them. Yeah, thanks. Uh, they focus so much on the protests and the federal federal help that came their way. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I've drawn a very hard line. We will not allow federal troops in our city. We will not tolerate 
unnamed agents taking people off the street, violating their rights um, and holding them in custody. That's not happening here in Chicago. So I've drawn a very, very bright line. I've made that very clear to every federal authority um, that I've spoken with, and they understand that if they cross that line, we will not hesitate to use every tool at our disposal to stop troops uh, and unwanted agents in our city. I think homicides are up 400 percent and shootings over the weekend, 53 shot, three dead. And that is the mayor of Chicago, the biggest embarrassment of this country where gangs and shootings run rampant, even at funerals. You have people being shot at funerals and being shot back at at funerals. That's how crazy this town is. But she's focused on Christopher Columbus's statue and she's focused on the president offering help and even called ahead of time. Hogan Gidley is the national press secretary for the president of the United States off of the president's campaign now, I should say. Hogan, welcome back. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate the time. Hogan, um, I know you're not involved in day-to-day with the government, but you're day-to-day with the campaign. Where does Law and order is part of the reason the president was elected. He takes action. Are you concerned that Democrats are grabbing the message and trying to make this into a, he wants to be an absolute monarch, he wants to be, uh, he wants to have total control Instead of somebody who wants to bring law and order. No, I'm not concerned about that at all because that's not that's not happening. Uh, that, that's just a, a completely false, fake narrative from the left, and it's not going to you know have foothold anywhere because what we want is you said law and order. We want safety and security for our neighborhoods. Our families deserve that. And it's always interesting to me to watch liberals clamor for federal takeover for things like education and health care and now a universal mail-in voting system that's a complete and total scam. All those things they want federal control over, but then when it comes time to do what the federal government's supposed to do, it's not supposed to do any of those other things, but when it actually is supposed to protect those who can't protect themselves, which is, is legal for the president to do, they act like they don't want it. Now, they end up getting it, and all of a sudden, what do you know? All of the, the rioting, the looting, it, it all subsides. There are no more burning churches in certain areas across the country because we've come in and helped the loca- localities, the governors, and, and some of these local law enforcement officials get things under control. That's what the government's designed to do, and I can guarantee you that the American people – they may not say it publicly because they don't want to be shamed, they don't want to be ridiculed and mocked and, and yelled at and called horrible names. They want safe city streets. This president, Donald Trump, will give it to them. Joe Biden will not. So the other big story, I don't know if you agree with Michael Goodwin's head, headline after speaking with the president on Friday, he believed going in and going out that this election will be decided on Corona-19 and that uh, the COVID-19, I should say, and how, how the president's perceived and actually how he handles it and how people would feel at the time. And here is Governor Michelle uh, Grisham of New Mexico, who wants to be a vice president. And here's what most every Democrat is saying. Cut 16. We are at the mercy of what's going on around the country. No national strategy, no public health investment. It start with it's a hoax that we're not going to invest. Wait, way too long before you talk about either pausing, suspending. Uh, you've got you've got the president now. We're not going to have a convention. That's not safe. But we want everyone to reopen schools immediately. Makes no sense whatsoever. Yep. There is no national strategy. I still spend most of my days chasing testing supplies for our state. Um, it, it, is, it is the worst abdication 
of a national response and responsibility to protect Americans I've ever seen in my government career. Your thoughts, Hogan Gidley? I'll I'll tell you this. I think this election is going to come down to several issues. First of all, elections are about choices, and you don't have to guess what Joe Biden would do with a pandemic. He was faced with one, H1N1, the swine flu, and he literally just said, with 60 million people across this country in America affected, infected with H1N1, said, I'm going to stop testing. And why? Because, quote unquote, we already know it's here. We already know it's spread around. I don't want to waste the resources. Can you imagine what the liberal media would do if Donald Trump said, I don't want to do any testing. I don't want the numbers uh, to come back and inform us at all. Listen, Brian, th- this is going to come down to COVID, the culture, and the economy. The president is on the right side of all of them. He took decisive, aggressive, bold action to stop spreading this country. Remember, the initial report said 2.2 million people have died. And while one is too many, from this unforeseen, unprecedented virus from China, the president has moved heaven and earth to protect those 2.2 million people. And sadly, while we have 146,000 some odd cases of people dying from this right now, that's a tragedy in and of itself. But his moves protected Americans and saved lives. The culture is under attack. The president's on the right side of that. Uh, unifying patriotic messages about how great this country is. Compare and contrast that with Joe Biden hating America. Saying it's the cause of so many problems across the world. And of course, the economy, as I mentioned before, you don't have to guess what an economy would look like under Joe Biden. We saw it. And jobs were leaving our shores. Three and a half million alone went to China from America. Donald Trump rebuilt our economy once. He'll do it again. Chad Wolf is the acting Department of Homeland Security secretary, and he's doing his best in Chicago and now Albuquerque, New Mexico and in Portland, Oregon, to try to help team with the cops to bring some law and order to the area, which they have federal agents. And there, for his home number and home address, was made public, and protesters showed up. Cut four. Our officers in Portland every night um, are targeted. Uh, Their personal information is on the Internet, uh, put out there by these criminals, by these anarchists. Uh, They're identified. Their families are harassed. Uh, they go where they're staying. Uh, the doxing is prolific, uh, and we're trying to address that. And, of course, we see them trying to do that to myself. Uh, we'll continue to do our job. We're not going to be deterred by this. But you could also look at the fact they went after the, the mayor of Portland's house and the mayor of Oakland's house. I mean, this doesn't seem like a, a racial issue anymore. It seems like another agenda. Yeah. Oh, it totally is. And this is just disgusting to do that. And let's be clear. You know, the progressive movement, by its very nature, never stops. That's why it's called progressive. It continues to go. So you cannot outrace the woke. Even some of these mayors are being turned on in these cities by the, the, the folks on the ground there who, who, even though the mayors support everything these people are doing and come out and give lip service and, 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 and paint murals and do all the things that, that they feel you know, put them in good graces with the woke, it never is enough. And so I think the American people are starting to see that this type of behavior, this, this sanctioning of chaos by the left is absolutely egregious. People are rioting, looting, burning churches, destroying property. That has nothing to do with protesting brutality. That has to do with criminal behavior. It's got to be stopped. And make no mistake, under Joe Biden, your, your, your 
families are not safe, your jobs are not safe, and your American way of life is not safe. He's waging war on all three, mm-hmm. and it's got to be stopped. Hogan, you don't have a convention to springboard anybody's campaign. You don't have rallies to, to gain momentum where you're doing four or five, three, four or five a day. When you sit down and, and put, put this game plan together, you can't look back at any other campaign, maybe during war, during World War II. Uh, basically, I remember Eisenhower reportedly said, if they don't want to reelect me, I'm not leaving the office. I'm not going to campaign. It's OK. Besides that, how what can we expect over the next few months, being that we're in the era of Zoom, not convention? Well, thankfully, we have a president not only as a record of um, massive successes on behalf of the American people and, and improving their lives at every turn. We also have a president, as you may know, uh, Brian, that, you know, actually was the producer of a number one show on television for more than a decade. So if anybody understands performance, if anybody understands, um, you know, getting a message out and, and, and you know, putting together, uh, you know, some type of, of mechanism by which he can talk directly to the American people that looks good, that sounds good, and actually reminds them of how far we've come as a nation in the last several years and how far we can still go together. Uh, it's going to be Donald Trump. He understands and gets that medium better than anybody else. And when you have such a massive online presence like we do right now at the campaign, like President Trump does uh, in his capacity as president, um, it, it sky's the limit for us over here. I can promise you, even though I don't know how it's going to look right now, we're in talks about it over here and, of course, with the White House, as the president would say, it's going to be a hit either way. Yeah, my feeling is when I'm in the Super Bowl and they cut at the Super Bowl to Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Yemen, wherever our soldiers are, the place goes wild. And my sense is just because these people aren't there, it doesn't mean you can't get the feeling like they are. And I'm just wondering if locating Zoom, different, different people in different cities, socially spaced, wearing masks at the same time, you can create some momentum almost the best possible momentum you can, the best would be seeing him in person, but by you could actually get a sense of the whole country rather than a sense of just how that audience feels. You get a sense of how the whole country feels. So I'll be very curious to see what you guys do different from the DNC and what the RNC is different. Uh, Hogan, best of luck down the, wall, down the road. Thanks so much, man. Talk to you later. one 866 We'll come back uh, with your calls. And the other big thing we have not really discussed this hour is Regis Philbin and his passing, most successful talk show host ever. And number two, we haven't really discussed uh, China. It's all hands on deck, and I believe the world might be with us to face off this behemoth, which is using a virus they poisoned the world with to benefit them. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. And if I was uh, Brian, I think I'd like to maybe get a little stronger, bolder look, and I would grow a beard about 10 days. It's impossible right now. 10, 10, yes? Why is that, Brian? 
Um, the facial growth is behind what we like it to be right now. The <laughs> <laughs> facial growth is behind? Yeah, where we like it mean? to be. As far as the shaving goes, I think we have two or three years until we have the beard. Hey, Brian, you're just a guest here. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> So that was a clip with Regis Philbin. I was pulled out of the audience on his morning show when I was in college, and that New York accent couldn't have been thicker. If I was trying to put it on, if I was trying to put on a New York accent, it wouldn't be that thick. And I had a chance to meet him then, see how he interacted with the audience, see what a great listener he was. It's really sad he passed away at 88. I had a chance to interview him again, did a feature with him at Reebok Sports Club. We worked out together. Um, and he was big into fitness and always had great questions and then also had a chance in 2013 after he stopped doing the morning show to work for Fox Sports and he wrote a book. So he came back again and he did our show, did two segments with us. It was just great. It's just sad he passed away at 88 and the most successful broadcaster uh, probably ever, certainly hardest working. Uh, Deborah is listening on the app in Florida. Hey, Deborah. Hello. What's on your mind, Deborah? Hi, um, I live in Florida. I live in Palm Beach County. We're still in phase one. We've had we've been kind of hard hit lately. Um, I am a very conservative Republican, but I do. I'm very worried about the the lack of. It seems empathy. That's the impression people are getting about the six hundred dollar federal assistance. I'm not saying it should say it's six, but when um, Mr. Mnuchin was on Fox News, he said. Um, People shouldn't be paid for staying at home. And I have a family member who's 59, had a heart attack three years ago. He's been applying, he has applied to hundreds and hundreds of jobs. And it just sounds less than sympathetic. And I worry that Florida will be lost to the Democrats. I am terrified of that. Well, a couple of things. Number one, you're still getting unemployment insurance. This is extra. And he's still cutting a $1,200 stimulus check. So I just think as a country, the everybody's got tough situations. No one's saying stop with the unemployment. You're still getting that. They're just saying with the extra $600, a lot of, a lot of companies, maybe not in your friend's case, are saying, I can't get my people back to work. They're making more money not coming into work. How do I get them into my restaurant? How do I get them uh, back to my retail store? Because they're friends usually, and they say, I'm not going to tell you to take less money and come to work, even though they should ethically. May I just make one more comment, though, about that? Um, I think, though, that the idea that people really like it doesn't pay for insurance or anything of that nature. It's just and I'm not saying that I disagree with what you just said. I'm just saying that it comes across kind of cold hearted when they say it like that. And Florida, I live in a very liberal part of Florida. I don't know if you know Palm Beach County very well, but very liberal compared to other parts of Florida. And I just, it scares me because our unemployment is one of the lowest in the country. And we had a huge debacle with it. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, Governor DeSantis was left kind of with a terrible situation with our unemployment system. So I'm just saying that not everyone just wants to sit at home on their couch, you know. And you worry about the perception. I understand you. It's all about messaging. Uh, but you do want – they're in the uh, heated negotiations for the 600 bucks right now, and she wants $3 because it's not her money. And what the Republicans are saying is that 600 has de-incentivized people from working in many cases, hurting the overall economy in a lot of cases. Nick, listen on WABC. Hey, Nick. Yeah, yeah, Brian, I just wanted to say I think Trump's going to win. Even though he's losing these suburban voters, I think what's going to make up – is the black vote. I think it's going to be a lot more for Trump. Because I was listening to a, a Pastor Daryl Scott show 
He's having a radio show, and there was, there was black caller after black caller saying that they're, changing, they're, they're voting Republican for the first time. I'm sorry. I just think there's a change coming in the black vote that Democrats are losing a lot of it. I hear you. Uh, but the thing is, overall, the Republicans have to have a legitimate strategy to get African-American votes. But if the president, who already had more than Mitt Romney and John McCain, can get into 15-16, uh, you're talking about a substantial switch and a hurting uh, because Biden doesn't get anybody in the black community excited uh, it, on his own. It's because of his association with Clyburn and President Obama. But in New York in particular, uh, when you were talking about what's happening uh, with the black vote here— which, of course, is not going to go anywhere because they're not going to be able to overcome New York City. New York City protesters shut down traffic on the FDR Drive. Two in serious condition after three people shot in Brooklyn. Felony assaults on subways are up 30 percent. And now insurgents are targeting targeting NYPD cars and lighting uh, some on fire while graffitiing others. So you're in Rockland, New York, but all throughout this city and the area— Governor Cuomo wants to keep his hands off it, but we have looked at, we went from the best city to now becoming the most dangerous city. John, listening on WFTU in Stewart, Florida. John. Yeah, I think the president is the worst president we've ever had. The biggest reason I'm against him is because he says climate change is just a um, a farce put on by the, uh, the Chinese. And it's is that so your wrong. number one He's issue, go- climate change? Pardon? Is that your number one issue? Yeah, yeah, because it's going to destroy the planet. We're destroying the planet. Don't you believe that we're destroying the planet, uh, changing to me, the climate? To me, it's to never me, gotten this hot. Yeah, you know, I, I can go over the methane levels and all these other things and the idiocy of the new Green Deal, which will destroy the country, and the and the, uh, and the the idiotic Paris Climate Accord, which no one's going to adhere to. At least he had the guts to back out of it. But climate change matters, but it's not top ten. It's not top five. It's maybe top ten. Look around you. Bigger stories. Right now, happening in the world, you will not be judged on climate change. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend and you weren't in Portland or Seattle or had to try to have a business uh, in Philadelphia or New York on the FDR Drive or where else? Austin, Texas, where there's some uh, tumult. And of course, uh, we always have Chicago, where there were 53 shootings and three deaths over the weekend, but they don't need any help. It's going to be a big show. We got an election that's 99 days away, and I think it's winnable for the president. And of course, I one of the main assets the president has going for him, number one, got uh, unbelievable stamina. Number two, he's got great leadership. Number three, Joe Biden's the worst candidate in modern times, 77 years old and has lost his fastball, his slider and his sinker, as well as his for, uh, forkball. I have no idea how he's doing it, but unless the president can close the gap, Biden could slide through without ever really doing a hard interview or any rigorous campaigning. First time in American history, perhaps. So Senator Lindsey Graham is waiting in the wings. We'll take a lot of calls this uh, this hour. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Now there's a chance you're going to be shooting in our building. Well, how do I act? Should I act like myself? Should I ignore you, pretend you're not? When that begins, you should say, you should call me Mr. Regis. Mr. Regis. Yeah. And what if you, do you answer or you probably won't? Only to Mr. Regis. That's it. Yes. Then I say goodbye, Mr. Regis. That is uh, Regis Philbin, some of the fun we've had over the years with him. And, of course, the first time I met him was in college. We had some of those tapes. Most successful broadcaster, perhaps, in history, passes away at the age of 88. Your thoughts? Number two. If the risk in the community is low, you may be able to operate the schools safely. The hard part is opening them and keeping them open. And only a community that both controls COVID and opens schools carefully is going to be able to do that. Thomas Frieden, he's a doctor, ran the CDC. Coronavirus has school openings on hold, sports indefinitely altered, and another trillion-plus package is under construction. What should be in that package, and can we really afford to spend it? Number one. You disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? That's, that's, right. That, that's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes. Is that unbelievable? That is Jerry Nadler caught up on the streets by a freelance journalist. City to city protests stretch the patience and endurance of law enforcement as Seattle enters day 60 of their unrest. Was it being scrutinized? The role of Antifa needs to be looked at. Some say it's smothering the racial justice injustice message, while Dems ignore or actually say they don't exist, like Jerry Nadler. Of course it is. How many people are talking about George Floyd? How many people are talking about ways for opportunities? How many people are talking about a ways to level on the playing field and perceptions among races and ethnic backgrounds? Zero. They're talking about Molotov cocktails. Uh, they're talking about taking fences down. And they're talking about... Federal agents belonging or not belonging in major cities. Senator Lindsey Graham, welcome. Senator, is this the most tumultuous time since you've been serving? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, 1968 was pretty tumultuous. You had a uh, society going through changes, uh, war, Vietnam War, that was uh, a hot button. But, yeah, uh, so what are they asking for, I guess? Antifa doesn't want an outcome of a particular issue. They just like chaos for the sake of chaos. And so what's, what's the social change being sought to burn down the Portland uh, federal court? No idea. I mean, what, I don't either. <laughs> so if you're listening, Antifa or anybody else to this program, call us and tell us what you're trying to accomplish by burning down the courthouse in Portland. So what is Jerry Nadler getting at here? Cut 10. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? There's that, riots? That's, that, that's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes. Sir, sure, there's, there's videos everywhere online. There's fires and riots. There's th- they're throwing fireworks at uh, federal officers. DHS is there. Look online. It gets crazy, Mr. Nadler. He walks away. He says it's a myth. Do other people feel that way? It's a myth, Antifa? Well, I think, you know, uh, I think uh, he's got about as much interest in trying to find out what's causing this anarchy as he does about trying to find out what happened with the Faisal Warren abuse. You know, uh, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House has never held one hearing about the Horowitz report where Horowitz found uh, that the FBI lied multiple times to the Pfizer court to get a warrant against Carter Page, uh, that the FBI wanted to drop General Flynn from Crossfire Hurricane, but the top brass at the FBI, along with Biden and Obama, 
continue to push the case. Uh, I find it stunning that he's got zero interest in any narrative that undercuts the liberal talking points, whether it be the Mueller report or violence in the streets. So we got to get to this now, but Senator Lindsey Graham, I watched this week with George Stephanopoulos, and they had Governor Christie on the show. Governor Christie, Michael Flynn of the President of the United States, were briefed by the FBI. They told, told it was a briefing to give him the latest intelligence because he was going to become President of the United States. But we find out later what was really happening there. And are you astounded that George Stephanopoulos never asked Governor Christie what it was like, what he remembers from that meeting? First off, what did we find out later was actually going on in that meeting? Well, so no, I'm not astounded. I'm not astounded that the New York Times has refused to uh, disavow an article they wrote, they wrote on February the 14th, 2017, alleging that the Trump campaign operatives were in constant and frequent contact with the Russian intelligence officials. Well, we know that's not true because we've got notes from Peter Strzok in real time saying that there's not any evidence of coordination between Trump officials and the Russians. But the New York Times to this day has not disavowed that article. Uh, CBS, NBC, ABC, none of these uh, outlets have covered the stunning uh, revelations that we're finding. And one of them is that in under the guise of a defensive briefing to candidate Trump, they actually were taking notes and asking questions to surveil uh, Michael Flynn, who was part of the meeting, and trying to get dirt on candidate Trump himself. So counterintelligence investigations are designed to protect American interests from foreign interference. You had a former U.S. attorney and Chris Christie in the room. They never mentioned during the defensive briefing that they had concerns about Papadopoulos, and he was already under surveillance. But they did tell Diane Feinstein that, oh, we think your driver's working for the Chinese Communist Party. So what happened here is they used the defensive briefing uh, to inform the campaign about influence out there from foreign governments to spy on the campaign. That, to me, is not only dirty pool, it's definitely, in my view, illegal. So for those people just catching up to this or are caught up in today's headlines rather than what was dominating over the last 2016 and 2018, that's the Russia investigation, there's a Steele dossier. And no one thought that Steele, even though he said he had contacts in Russia, no one thought he went there. But he got intelligence. We thought, who are these people who gave Christopher Steele this <laughs> yeah. information? What did we find out about the main source for Christopher Steele? Was it Vladimir Putin's best friend? Was his relative? <laughs> was his chief? Uh, was it the KGB uh, executive vice president? <laughs> so what did we find out? We found out the Russian subsource was not Russian-based, as the FBI told the uh, FISA court. It was U.S.-based, an employee of Christopher Steele who did work for the Brookings Institute, not exactly a mole inside the bowels of the Kremlin reporting at, at their own peril. Russia is laughing their ass off at us. They had a Russian researcher working for Michael uh, Christopher Steele who had contacts in Russia. They're all, I'm sure, intelligence op- operatives. He was fed Russian disinformation. He told Steele, here's what I found. I don't think it's very reliable. So what did Steele do? Turned it into a Tom Clancy novel, sold it to the FBI. The FBI sold it to the FISA court. It turned out to be all garbage. So nobody is mad at this Russian subsource stationed in America. They'd give him a medal if they could in Russia. So Brookings Institute's a left-wing think tank. Why would a left-wing think tank... 
I know they wanted Hillary Clinton to win, but why are they an activist in helping her win? Can, can you help tie this together for me? Well, so so here's what happened. So this uh, Danko, I can't remember, I can't, Igor Danchenko, yeah, I think is his Dan- name, is supposedly the subsource. So he's on Christopher Steele's payroll, who is getting paid by the Democratic Party. So the Russian subsource was not Russian-based, as uh, the FBI told the FISA court. He's literally on the payroll of the guy on the Democratic Party's payroll. He also is a research contributor to the uh, Brookings Institute, not exactly the spy we thought he was. So what does this mean? It means that people with an agenda, how to get Trump, created a document that was a bunch of garbage. They took disinformation from Russia weaponized it so American law enforcement would use it to get a warrant against an American citizen. And you can't find it with bloodhounds in the mainstream media. Can you imagine if the Republican Party had hired Christopher Steele to do research against Clinton, had a Russian researcher who got a bunch of dirt from Russia on a Clinton campaign operative that was garbage, wind up getting a warrant against this person, be front page news all over the world. So, okay, we blow up the source. And then people say this. Well, the dossier didn't play a major role. Uh, we didn't use it. That wasn't part of the reason why we did that. You know that's the Democratic retort, right? Besides the Carter Page. Well, that, 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 that makes no sense because Horowitz, uh, who's the inspector general for the uh, Department of Justice, said in his report with the dossier there would be no warrant against Carter Page. It was outcome determinative. McCabe, the number two guy at the FBI, said under oath in a House uh, Judiciary Intel Committee that without the dossier, they would not have been able to obtain a warrant against Carter Page. Now, why do we know that? They tried to get a warrant against Carter Page before the dossier. It was turned down by the Department of Justice lawyers. Then McCabe told the system, there's something in New York you might want to look at. Well, the dossier was in the hands of the New York office. Once it got into the system, that's how they got the warrant. Without the dossier, there would be no warrant. So in January 2017, after a three-day interview with the Russian subsource, they, they understood clearly the dossier was a bunch of bar talk, hearsay, and quite frankly, garbage. They knew it was unreliable, and they continued to use it in April and June of 2017 to get two additional warrants against Carter Page. Bottom line here is anybody that knew that the dossier was not reliable after the interview in January and used it to get a warrant in April and June should go to jail. So how do we move this story forward? Uh, We know about the deception. So what's next? Why don't we ask the guy who prepared the 40-page memo a summary of the three-day interview with a Russian subsource, Steele's employee, who did you tell uh, about who did you talk to about this? Did you put the 40-page memo in your desk, or did you tell your superiors? What about the case agent who was there for the interview? There were four people in the room with the subsource for a three-day period in January. Did they tell anybody above them? Is it possible that Peter Strzok was unaware of the fact that the dossier collapsed as a reliable document? No. No, it's not possible. We know why. I know why, because when he commented on the February 14th 2017 New York Times article that mentioned Steele being a reliable uh, source of information, he put a note out to the side of that paragraph and basically said, Steele doesn't have good insight to his own sources. 
he had to know about that January interview or he wouldn't have made that comment. So I'm convinced that Strzok knew that the uh, dossier had fallen apart by January of 2017. And I can't believe that McCabe and Comey were not told. This is the most high-profile investigation in modern history, a sitting president. Are you telling me that after a three-day interview where the whole case collapses that nobody told the higher-ups? I don't believe it. That's where I'm headed. So that's where you had Sally Yates coming in this week. What do you need to know? Yeah, she's coming in August the 5th. And you remember, she she was in the room with Obama and Biden and Brennan and Clapper uh, and Comey talking about the Flynn case. Now, January the 5th, why is January the 5th important? On January the 4th, the agents in charge of investigating General Flynn recommended he be dropped from Crossfire Hurricane because they could find no evidence that he was working with the Russians. That's when Strzok told them, don't close out the case. The seventh floor is interested in this. That's the leadership of the FBI. Lo and behold, the very next day, they have a meeting in the Oval Office about General Flynn. What I want to know, I want to know how is it possible the president knew about the surveillance of General Flynn and the number two at the Department of Justice, Sally H., did not know. It's now being alleged that Biden mentioned the Logan Act as a reason to continue surveillance of Flynn. Biden's denied any comments at all about an investigation. And third, I want to ask her, if you knew then what you know now, would you have signed the warrant against Carter Page? That's why I want her to come in. And we'll see. And if John Durham doesn't get done, get his investigation done before November 3rd, we might, and if the president doesn't win, we might never get to the bottom of this. Well, unless you can do something, Senator. Well, I can't prosecute anybody, but I can tell you this. I've been a prosecutor, I've been a defense attorney, and I've been a judge. It's not that complicated. The FBI was made aware that the subsource, who was a steel employee not based in Russia, created a document that was unreliable, told steel it was unreliable, still turned it into a uh, spy novel. Once they understood from the subsource himself, this document is not reliable they should have stopped the case. Instead of stopping the investigation, they continued to get warrants based on that document. Anybody that should have known or did know about the collapse of the Steele dossier and, and pursued a warrant anyway are great candidates to be prosecuted and go to jail. And there are other things coming out that you'll be stunned about here pretty soon. I hope you bring it here to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Always appreciate it. Senator Lindsey Graham, thanks so much. Thanks, pal. You got it. Back in a moment. Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 Let's go out to Law, listening on 97.9 uh, in Indiana. Hey, Law. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? How you doing? Hey, uh, I don't understand why nobody's talking about if Biden gets in office, he's not going to finish his term. No way. If he ever really gets started. The vice president, whoever they pick, is uh, the one that's going to be running the country. Uh, 
I don't hear anybody talking about that. I don't hear uh, I agree. anybody talking that, about what happens if the well, Democrats no. Well, no. You know, I haven't talked about it a lot now, but by August 1st, we're going to get a vice presidential nominee, maybe by this weekend, of course. And I think it's going to be the most important second pick ever. So that's why it's got to be Harris. Nobody else has close to enough experience. She's an attorney general and a sitting senator. So very similar to President Obama, actually more experience than President Obama, but she's not popular. Simple as that. And her record runs contradictory to what's hot in America right now, and that is uh, criminal justice reform instead of crackdown. Liz, listening on 1250 in New York. Liz. Hey, Brian. First of all, I want to tell you I listen to your show all the time. Thanks. And, and um, you're just great. I loved your pictures with Regis. But I'm, I guess I'm just getting a little concerned now, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody, but there's so much with this FISA warrant and this dossier. Why isn't this all bringing to light? Um, it's just so right out there. I just wonder your thoughts if Lindsay's going to be able to get this going. I think I think he'll do make a lot of progress, and it was going to force it forward. But right now, between the pandemic and the civil unrest, it's tough to hear any voices. We'll get there, though, especially in the fall. It'll be brought up, and especially with Biden involved. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Have you taken a moment to look back and are you proud of what you accomplished and the journey you, you, you walked? I was very proud of the way it wound up. I wanted to go national. I wanted it to be a success and, and that's what I was able to accomplish. Yeah, I, uh, I think it all worked out fine. Brian, I was 28 years in, uh, in Hollywood in Los Angeles and then 28 more here in, in New York. The times that I suffered the defeats was out there in, in L.A. And when I finally got to be on a at a station on this side of the country where I could be live and effective at 9 o'clock in the morning. That's when it all right. came together. And that's uh, Regis Philbin came on with us a few times and, of course, on television. And we watched him over and over again. I mean, he did this thing for over 50 years. He uh, died at 88. And he feels as though he's not cocky at all, but he feels as though he earned his success. He can remember every step of the way. And so can you because unique name, unique personality, and conversational and an everyman. Well, born in the Bronx, never thought he was above anyone, and didn't mind hanging out with celebrities as well as everyday people. And I remember I was only, it was about 10 years ago, I was, uh, I won a uh, a free room. I went to the Chris Everett benefit and I played in it. And I bid on one of these silent auction items, and because no one was bidding on it, it was Palm Beach. You had to take it in the summer. And no one wants to go to Palm Beach in the summer, I guess, so I bid on it. I was the only bidder, and I won. And after waiting two years, I said, guys, we've got to go. And I bring my family down to Palm Beach. And then one of the people with the Chris Everett crew knew that Donald Trump was down the road. I don't even know the, the Mar-a-Lago was down the road. They said, you should go over and say hi. So when Trump heard we were there, my whole family went over to Mar-a-Lago. He wasn't running for president, no violations. So we went over there, and Regis Philbin was there. 
And he was sitting there. He had played tennis during the day. He sat down. I said hello. He said hello and then started complaining in a fun way about Donald Trump, the speed of the service. You know, I can't sit here all day. I don't have my own club. I got to earn a living. I got to get back to work. And I'm saying to myself, it's like, he's exactly like he is on the show. The same thing. It was fun. He wasn't complaining, but he was just needling him. Hey, Donald, I know who you are, but just find out where my food is. Then he got up in the middle, came back, and it was just fun. I said, wow, this guy does, does not stop. So it was pretty amazing. And then he kind of faded away. And Kathy Lee Gifford, of all people, called me two weeks ago to tell me about a story in North Carolina. And she called, got my cell phone somehow, called, him, called my house, and I go, I can't believe I'm talking to her. And she was telling me about this story. And when she was at ABC, they didn't want – they wouldn't have anybody – any of NBC. They wouldn't let us go on her show and she wouldn't come on ours because NBC didn't want any of it. The minute she left, she came on our show right away. And now she was talking to tell me about the story and the unrest in North Carolina and about a friend of hers. And then I said, how's Regis? And he says, well, he introduced me at an event a long time ago, uh, not too long ago. And I'm not sure if I'll see him again. And I'm saying, why? He goes, well, we're very busy. We're going to, I had to go travel. I'm going to be moving. I'm not going to be in Connecticut anymore. And he wasn't doing well. I thought, wow, that's the only thing that would explain that I have not seen him lately, that he was not doing well, that he was supposed to introduce her at an event, and he didn't seem the same. It seemed like something was wrong. But he's 88 years old, never stopping. And you said he spoke with Kathy Lee two weeks ago? Yeah. I two wonder, weekends on a Saturday. Because then um, she was on the Today Show today. We don't have the audio, but basically she said she last saw Reed just two weeks ago, and she randomly just got the urge to call him. And that was the last time she called him. Called him. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Because I go, what do you, she goes, that's probably the last time I'll see him. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, did they have an argument? Because I heard the Kelly Ripa situation is kind of odd too, because reportedly, she was upset that he left without telling her. So she was not talking to him, and he claimed he was never invited back on the show. But she gave a nice message at the end. I mean, Reeves gave her the biggest break of her life. She was. She's a really good actress. Great personality. She's natural. I get. It. I've never met her. But for Regis to pick her out of all the co-hosts for an established show that's got 10, 20 million people watching at the time, let's say let's say 8 million people watching at the time, and for her to get that pick, and she was upset, and she was upset with Mike Strahan too at the end. So, Well, she I only watched a portion, but when her and Ryan came on Today Live, I mean, she's very upset, very emotional, saying she got that role by accident. It was, you know, not even luck. She was saying it was an accident, and that— you know, she had all of her kids there. Her kids grew up with Regis, so, you know, she's... Oh, they did a big thing today. That's right. I should have watched. Mm-hmm. But, but we're doing this show. Yes. That's the problem. I'm glad you weren't watching. Right. But, I mean, right now, syndicated TV, Ryan Seacrest, top three show, right? Ryan Seacrest and Kelly and Ryan, top three show. They're getting, like, three million people because it was 2479 in New York, 2479 and 11. 9 and 11 really didn't get much. 2, 4, and 7 mattered. And then they had this thing called cable, and cable was new. It wasn't that new, but it was not, you know, HBO and others were big. But if you're on cable, that's second tier. We don't look at it that way. In fact, most people on their phones, they don't even know what's cable and what's, what's broadcast. If you ask the, this generation there, what broadcast TV is, I'm not really sure. I mean, there was a time in which if you're doing a morning show – uh, let's say on cable, your goal would be to get to a network. That changed like 15 years ago. Like, really? You can keep that. And you might get be more eyeballs, might be easy to get, especially in rural areas of the country. But now people are searching. They're, they're going right to their apps. They're going, they're going right to the channel on their TV. Um, so 
things have certainly changed, and he was a part of all of it. How do you stay relevant for 50 years? 50 years doing the same thing. It's incredible, especially when you see on late-night television, they're getting Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy Fallon. No one talks about them, and they're not getting that many viewers. The last guy to get some viewers, I think uh, Jay Leno was getting 5 million. The rest are getting like 2.5, 3, which is if you have a home with the hut level, home with using TVs, your, your hut level is like 45% of the people. You could get 45% of the country, and you're getting, still going getting 2, 3 million people. I mean, everything fractured. I mean, Carson used to get 10 to 15, I imagine, maybe more, and then somebody else would come in, Dick Cavett or Joey Bishop. They would try to get a piece of it. They could never get a piece of it. But he lasted through all that, made all the adjustments, and outworked everybody. Gary, listening in Nashville, Georgia. Hey, Gary. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's on your mind? Uh, well, first off, thanks for taking my call. No problem. And I just had a question. Um, Is- I just kind of wanted to get yours and others' opinions on this. Everyone keeps talking about the election and what it's going to take to win. And I was just wondering, can we afford to wait for the election for a strong showing? Um, as I believe we are the silent majority, and we can make a strong showing um, in great numbers. Uh, with the extreme surge forward in these attacks on freedoms and democracy all across the country, I feel like the other side is not waiting for the election, and they're well, already putting I'll give their you an example. plan. Well, I you know what I think you can do. Uh, there was a Blue Lives Matter, or uh, they marched for the blue in, on Long Island in Eisenhower Park. They got thousands of people there, and there were th- there was some marches in New York City. Didn't go- there was met with confrontation. But, I mean, people could start marching for the police, although this shouldn't be police against African Americans. I mean, the bigger story is opportunity and equity and anything we could do to make our country, even the playing field, even more. Police are in the middle of this in many cases. Yes, yeah, some go off uh, off the uh, deep end and some don't. And sometimes there are people in the cities that need some protection. You got to go in there and you got to use a heavy hand. They'll tell you about it and they'll and they'll get a bad rap. But the police are kind of caught in the middle. They're taking, they're into the teeth of these riots, trying to take over federal office buildings, trying to take over precincts. Police are not the problem. The problem is society. Uh, the problem is there's some inequities in there we could build out. There are some families that should, uh, uh, could, they could reconvene. There could be an emphasis on things like that. There are things that within our system we could change. But not when you throw throwing Molotov cocktails at cops trying to take over precincts, trying to take over federal buildings and trying to vilify the president. But it would be great for more people to march for the men and, men and women in blue. Joanne listening in Alexa, Texas. Hey, Joanne. Hi, San Antonio, Texas. I just wanted to express my condolences regarding the passing of Regis. I did get an opportunity to go on his show, you know, as a guest in the audience when it was Regis and Kathy Lee. Yep. But I would say I don't think that Kelly Ripa should be given a pass on her treatment of Regis. Um, there's a lot of noise on social media that she's fake and phony and that it was really utterly shameful and disrespectful the way she treated him. She never talked to him. She never calls him back on her show, which was really his show to begin with as a guest. And it's really disgraceful. I, you know, I can't get in between. For, you know, I never met her, so I can't say uh, disgrace or not disgrace. But that's like the People magazine version till I hear from her or, or Joy Philbin. I'm, I'm going to have to just uh, say that it's all hearsay unless we know directly. 
But uh, Joanna, I mean, that's the way it played out. That's where we understand it. And evidently, she was really ticked off by the way he left. However, he endorsed Michael Strahan. He thought Michael Strahan was fantastic. Rich in Connecticut. Um, hey, Rich. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Brian. Uh, the economic comeback, I would suggest, is literally in the hands of American consumers. Why? Uh, president Trump has done a great job. He's been very brave, braver than the previous president since China trade has opened in 1995. But we've lost the middle class, direct correlation between uh, the growth of the Chinese middle class and the loss of American middle class. That because of one and a half percent of our economy, uh, economy of 25 trillion every, every year going to China. And uh, over 20 years since the China trade has been uh, uh, sizable, uh, and uh, so it's American consumers, if we're disciplined and we pick up that product and turn it over and see if it says made in some country. Hey, Rich, that, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Manufacturing coming back. We talked to Arthur Herman about that. And, Rich, the, the president could sign an executive order to make countries label clearly where that, where that product was made from. And I'm telling you right now, I know we're doing a lot of shopping online, but if you're in person, whether you're at Macy's or whether you're at uh, Penny's, what's left of Penny's, or whatever you're shopping for stores, if you could see those jeans are made in China, I know most people are going to keep walking, and especially now well, what they're doing and what they've done. Uh, and I think that if we knew the origin of a lot of these products, we would be there'd be a push by CEOs to bring products home to make it here, even if it costs more, because the American consumer will say by by not buying products made cheaper in other countries, they'll be sending a message to manufacturers who are, little, who are willing to pay a little bit more to keep it red, white, and blue. That would work. Now, Ray Dalio is one of the smartest people in the country, certainly most successful investor. He was asked about our economy by Maria Bartiromo, a person he really respects and should. And he was with Bridgewater. He's one of the founders. So he says, this is what's going on right now. We're about to put another trillion to two to three trillion into the system. We're going over the, the working on the edges and the nuances of what's going to be in that three trillion. But it's money we don't have. Here's how he looks at our economy right now. Cut 44. Three big things going on. Where we are in the debt cycle, the printing of money. The second is how we are with each other, that we're having an ideological civil war. When you combine that with an economic downturn in which there is the printing of money and the creation of money out of thin air is an issue. And then you have the rising power of China challenging the existing power. That is the position we're now in. We are in a conflict with China. You could call it a war, um, like the 1930s. Um, so that there is a um, there's a trade war, there's a technology war, there is a geopolitical war, and there could be a capital war. Look, we have a G7 coming up in September. Australia already says that we're getting ready for confrontation. They're going to need some help. They're going to need some allies. We've always been by them. They should stay by us and vice versa. In Europe, same thing. Uh, Huawei, it looks like France is walking away from Huawei. The uh, 5G, the next, the next level, the next generation of, uh, of technology. Uh, UK has already walked away. If we could somehow consolidate Europe, get through this election, especially if this president can win, I am not convinced that the next administration is going to be able to be nearly as hardline on China. This is maybe our last chance to slow them down and make them accountable. As was brought up by Mike Walsh 
on Thursday, former Green Beret, aide to Vice President Cheney. They have a Mars probe that looks exactly like ours. They have a fighter jet that is exactly like ours. Everything that they're doing, they're stealing from us and putting it back in our face. We invented the drone and then we brought it forward and we asked them to make it for us. All our drones are being made in China. I mean, this is our last chance to get it back. We have to bring our pharmaceuticals back. Right now, China could go, you know what? I know you paid for them. I know you make them. I know you're paying our people. I know it's your company. I think I'm holding on to all the medicine. This can never happen again. I'm telling you right now, Joe Biden's not going to make this titanic change. He's going to come in and say, sorry about that last guy. I'm going to straighten things out. And six, seven months will go by. And between the pandemic and them recovering first because they started it first, we're never going to be able to catch up. And that's how the president's got to do it. That's how the case he's got to make it. A law and order, take on China, most importantly, bring the economy back. And lastly, I can handle COVID-19. Not going to be easy. Got 99 days to prove it. When we come back, take some more of your calls. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I see what I did, Eric. My mistake. I asked Allison to bump in with Mike Gitz's comments, but I didn't ask you, and you're the one with the finger on the button. So let's pretend like we're coming back from break, and I'll be more ready to start the segment if you were inside my head, which is scary. It's lonely. Uh, and you knew that I wanted Mike Ditka to bump in this segment. It was up to me, I'd say no. If you can't respect our national anthem, get the hell out of the country. Then that's the way I feel. Of course, I'm old-fashioned, so I'm, I'm only going to say what I feel. I think there's a way that you, you protest and there's a way you don't protest. You don't protest against the flag. You don't protest against this country who's given you the opportunity to make a living playing a sport that you never thought would, would happen. So I, I don't want to hear all the crap. He's chairman of the X-League, this brand-new women's tackle football league. And he was asked about this. And he said, I just don't want you kneeling during the national anthem. And he says, look, I, I might be out of step. I don't care if I'm out of step. I love the country, and I wouldn't do it. And she's not going to be happy, too. In the WNBA, two teams walked out as the national anthem started. And among the people who kneeled during the national anthem, according to reports, I got to make sure about this, I only read in one place, is Aaron Judge which is unbelievable. Top three biggest names in sports outside Mike Trout, New York Yankees uh, behemoth outfielder, knows one of the uh, nicest guys in sports. So uh, I love what baseball did. I like that they grabbed the, the, uh, the black rope, showed, you know, we got to equal things out and racial justice. Fine, let's work on it. And they took a knee for, and a moment of silence and they stood up for the national anthem for the most part. I like that. Uh, let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. This will be quick. Natalie Portman, Joaquin Phoenix, and lead Hollywood's call to defund the police. You believe these clowns? Also joining them, Deborah Messing, John Legend, Jane Fonda, Kendrick Sampson, whoever that is. They will join together in solidarity with the Freedom Fighters in Minneapolis, Louisville, and across the United States and call for the end of police terror. Terror. I'm I'm sure their private security, though, is still going to be well funded. Oh, absolutely. If they're not active... They're making more money. They are former. What can you say to that? Uh, I'm just flabbergasted. But those are, that's the world they live in. 
They live in this insular world where only the people they talk to are other famous people who feel persecuted and prosecuted. And it's all because of the police. Not true. Never on this show. Brian Kilmeade Show. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.